0: Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. I, uh, I was uh, heard about an interview with uh, one of the guys who got in on the ground floor uh, investing with Airbnb and Uber and made a ton of money out of it. And when someone asked him, like, how did you know to invest in those businesses? He said, I I look for business opportunities or entrepreneurs who are exploiting um, something that is a lie, but people believe is a truth. And so the lie around Airbnb is nobody would want to stay in someone else's house for vacation, like a stranger's house. He said, that's a lie, but people believe it's true. But Airbnb exploited that and said, no, actually, people do. The Uber... uh, what Uber was based on was this idea that the lie is that you have to own a taxi cab and do it full-time to be a taxi driver, to drive people around for money. And that's obviously a lie. And Uber exploited that. I was thinking, man, how did I not see that? I wish I had sort of got in on the ground floor of that. Uh, but I was thinking, actually, there's lots of things in life that I have been unaware of <laughs> that I've missed. Um, you ever had that moment where later on you're like, how did I not see that? Um, why did I say that? Sometimes I have that moment right after I've said it. Sometimes it's a day later, a week later, and you think, why did I say that that way? Or why didn't I say that? I've had seasons or decisions in life where I, I did stuff, and I was like, why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. How did, how did I not know at the time? And, and, and if you're anything like me, you've had those experiences too. Um, things in life that you're not proud of, things you, you know you should have done, action steps you should have taken, Things you should have said but didn't, or things you did and you shouldn't have, or seasons of life where you look back and go, what was I thinking during those times? Or how did I make? And sometimes one decision often sort of dictates a lot of how the rest of that season or those years play out. Our our resolve in those moments when we become aware of them is to think, okay, I got to do better. I just got to be smarter about that. Like, I got to, okay, I got to learn from that. I got to make sure that doesn't happen again. In the culture we live in says, hey, like, you know, live and learn and nobody's perfect and hey, just move on, right? Move on is one of our sort of favorite ideas in the 21st century. Just, you know, just forget the past. We'll just sort of get better, do better. Now, for people of faith, we might have a more um, complex answer to that of like, what happened. We would say, well, it's, that's sin. It's because I sinned. Now, sin, as I've said to you before, if you've been in our church for any length of time, we know actually, even though it sounds like a negative word, it's actually a hopeful word because it's a diagnosis, it's an explanation. It's saying this is why. And that sin isn't just sort of doing bad things, but it's a way of thinking and being. It actually describes the brokenness amidst the beauty that we find in ourselves and in this beautiful world and our beautiful selves, and yet there's brokenness in every one of us. Someone said there's an infection. That has not made everything in this world and everything about us bad and wrong, but it's taken what's good and it's infected it. And so there's, a, there's an infection that's actually in our world, in creation itself, the earth, and even in ourselves. And so we might say, okay, like sin is the problem. But even then we might go, okay, so, you know, Jesus came and he died on the cross. We're in the season of Lent, which is preparing us to contemplate the suffering and death of our Lord. And as Christians, we say, well, we know that death was actually, even though it was the work of evil people, that God actually used that, that that was the way of us being forgiven of our sins. So we can say, okay, yeah, no, I'm forgiven and I just got to, now i am just got to like stop sinning, right? And, and do better at that. But even that, I have to go a little bit of a level further to understand ourselves. It's like if you have a house and you spend a lot of time living in and sort of decorating in the main floors and you've got the furnishings that you want and the paint colors and the art and the things set up just so and Uh, But then there's like this smell in the basement. It's kind of musty and damp. You notice it at certain times or seasons. So then you go down and you start to realize there's a section of the carpet that's wet. And then, oh, the wall actually feels a little bit soft and damp here. And so you you start to realize, wait, there's a problem actually here in the foundation. You rip away the wall and you realize there's water like coming in from the foundation. You think, okay, well, I got to deal with that. But even knowing, well, wait, why is it coming in? Where's that from? Was this dug, not dug properly? Do we not have a seal properly? Like, you actually have to get below the surface. And truthfully, for ourselves, we don't stop long enough to do this in our own lives. To say, how do I get below the surface of saying, okay, I mean, there's this musty smell around decisions I make or stuff I do or in my marriage or in the way that I deal with my relationships or my friendships or my school, whatever, but okay, like... What's below the surface? What's actually underneath sin? If I were to rip away the drywall and say, what's going on in the foundation and why? For many of us, that's the level we actually have to go to in our lives to begin to understand what is going on with me, that maybe the root problems— in my circle of friends that seem to keep occurring, the root issue in my marriage that I can't seem to sort of get past or seems to keep coming up, the root problem with the way I deal with my, the, my coworkers, either the people that report to me or the people I report to or the fact that I sort of keep moving from job to job. Maybe they have a, do I know what's below the surface? Now, in the hope that somehow I could get to the bottom of this to really begin to understand what's going on and not just put new coat of paint on the walls, but say, I got to deal with the foundation. The scriptures actually that we're going to look at this morning um, helps us understand that. It's in the, the book of Romans, which is a, a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, Rome, good, okay, you're tracking with me, uh, as a new church, young church, uh, full of Jews and Gentiles, and, and actually even more Gentiles than Jews. And Jews were, uh, the, the earliest Christians were Jewish people because they had come to understand that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that the Jewish people had been waiting for, it was going to be God's deliverer, God's way of redeeming them. Um, but then you had all these other people who didn't have any of that story, weren't connected to the Jewish sort of tradition, who were starting to believe, like, wait, he's my savior too, he's my lord too, and so the church is exploding at this point. And so the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the group of people to explain to them what is going on in the world and why Jesus really is the Lord, why really he, why he really is the good news, to begin to understand, in a sense, what's below the surface. Not in this individual's life, in this individual's life, but in everyone's life, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, no matter what your story is. This is actually the beginning of Romans chapter 1, is Paul's explanation of what is under the surface, behind the drywall, if you will, right into what's seeping into the foundations. Paul says, okay, and that's this opening chapter of the book of Romans saying, here's what's going on. And so we want to start there this morning. And here's what he says. Now stay with me because this is one of those passages that maybe if you grew up in one of those churches where there was a lot of fire and brimstone, you're like gonna start twitching because this sounds like it. But stay with me, okay? The wrath of God, Paul says, is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of, God, glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, there's a bunch of words in this passage that at first just sounds like Paul's just raging against the world, right? The wrath of God poured out on people, their depraved minds, sexual impurity, like all of this stuff. What is going on in this passage? Because remember, he's explaining to people who didn't have the Jewish story of why the world is the way it is. The Jews, the account of the beginning of the world was maybe some that you are familiar with, which is in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, Adam and Eve in the garden. Paul is actually retelling the story of the beginning of the world without any of that reference in it. He's talking to people that didn't know the story of the Adam and Eve and the beginning of how the Jews understood the beginning of the world. He's He's using different language to explain to them, here's how the world is the way it is. Essentially, he's saying, look, there's something wrong with all of humanity. Nobody is outside of this thing. Everyone is affected by what's going on in here. So this is your story and my story. This is what's going on with humanity. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. It doesn't matter what your church background is. It doesn't matter whether you use different words. Paul's description is, this is what is going on with humanity. Now, just for a moment, if I can pause there. If you're here and you're exploring faith and you're trying to figure out, is all this really true? Does this make sense? One of the things that makes me continue to be a follower of Jesus and to read the scriptures is because I believe it doesn't answer all my questions, but it is the best explanation through which I can understand the world. It actually helps me make the most sense of what's going on in the world. And it's not a simple explanation or simple treatment. So Paul's about to, so I want you to test this this morning and say, wow, is this actually true? If I actually think about the world this way, does that actually help me make sense of myself and the world? Because that actually starts to tell us maybe this is true. And so he says there's something wrong with all of humanity that is leading to all kinds of behaviors and things are not the way they were supposed to be. And he uses the word exchange twice. He says there's been this exchange going on that human beings have made, human beings have made an exchange that has led to the world being the way it is, that has led to you and me being the way we are. And in fact, he says there was an exchange of something true for a lie. There was an exchange of something true. In other words, human beings took something that was true and exchanged it and took a lie instead. And he said, that's what's wrong with the world. There is an exchange. At the root, at the center, at the core of everything that is wrong with humanity, in here and out there, is the exchange of truth for a lie. A lie sits at the center of all that is wrong in the world. Now, when I say the word lies, we're thinking like, okay, you were a kid, and there's like the entire row of Oreos is gone after somebody, and someone's like, who ate the cookies? And you tell a lie, saying, well, not me, or I had two, or whatever, which that's false, no one just eats two Oreos, we know that, right? But that's okay, so we think, oh, that's a lie. Or a lie is like, you wanted to go to this party, you know your parents won't approve of it, so you tell them you're going somewhere else instead. Like Some of you are like, how did he know? I'm like, I'm not judging, I'm just saying. Like, And I know none of you, but people do this, apparently. So it's you tell a lie, I'm, I'm gonna do this. Or, you know, you don't wanna go, you don't feel like going into work, so you kind of say, well, I, <clears throat> I'm feeling sick, I'm not coming in today. And you sort of know it's not true, but it's a lie. And so that's, when we talk about lies, that's what we're thinking. but But that's not what this is talking about. This is saying that human beings have believed something that is a lie to be true. As in, we don't know it's a lie. We're not the ones telling the lie, we're the ones believing the lie. We have exchanged truth, and in the biblical context, truth means reality. Okay, so we have exchanged reality for a false reality, and we are living as if it's true. We are living according to a reality that we think is real and true, and Paul says it's actually an exchange, it's false. And this is actually the root problem with what's going on in the world. And in fact, we can trace, and we're, we're going to do this over the next several weeks, is trace how lies are actually impacting Our lives And the danger in them is not just that we believe them, but we think they're true. So we have a false sense of reality. Therefore, everything is skewed. Everything is off. And making decisions, that's why Paul uses the word, they became darkened in their thinking. It's like being in the dark, stumbling around, trying to live life, but thinking that you see. That's even worse than being in the dark, is you don't know that you are. I have even worse news for you. There's not just lies. There is a liar. The scriptures say that the enemy of our soul, Satan or the devil, primarily manifests himself not as like what we see in the exorcist or the haunting of Hill House or whatever. He's a liar. Jesus actually said, I think Dave mentioned this last week, that the devil's native tongue is lies. He is the father of lies. In fact, the Jews would know that the way that the Moses described the story for them unraveling was it all began with a lie that Satan helped them believe and said truth actually looks like this and they thought it was true but it was actually a lie and the whole world unraveled because of it. And so I know ma- many of you um, as you've come to faith you're coming to faith you're like okay I, I think I believe in Jesus I want to follow him but this whole devil thing I'm not really sure about that there's demons and quite frankly most of our view of the devil has been shaped by Dante's Inferno not the scripture's. And so we have images of horns and all this stuff. And the scriptures that Jesus said in the longest section, he talks about the devil. He says he's a liar from the beginning. That's his native tongue. And so the only thing worse than the fact that you and I have an enemy who the scriptures say want to steal, wants to steal from us and destroy us and kill us is that we don't believe he exists or we don't believe We don't know that he's actually lying to us all the time. And this is his primary way of undoing us, is through lies. So lies are at the root of the problem. The enemy of our soul is a liar who's trying to get us to believe a false reality and live according to lies as opposed to the truth. And so we're spending these weeks actually just trying to identify that and say, if I can begin to spot... In my own life, how I'm actually living by something that isn't true, I can change, I can adjust. This is what's underneath and behind the drywall, if you will. The foundation is it based in a true understanding of reality or is it skewed? For today, I just want to camp out in in, in this one foundational lie that Paul tells the Roman church is at the root of everything. And here's what he says here's the lie. They exchanged, the they meaning humanity, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Amen. And that amen is like a mic drop. Boom. This is the end of this passage, this section. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. He says, this is the change. This is the exchange. What does he mean the truth about God? He doesn't mean like a certain statement about God. He means God. As in, they exchanged God who is true or God who is ultimate reality. They exchanged and worshipped and served the devil. It's not what he says. What does he say? Worshipped and served created things instead of the creator. This is the fundamental exchange. And he gives examples that his audience would have understood. So many of them would have come from religions where they would have made gods out of birds and reptiles and animals and they would have worshipped the sun or the stars. They would have worshipped creation. And so he's saying, this is the fundamental exchange that instead of living your life worshipping the truth about God as in God, ultimate reality, God, exchanging it and saying, no, God is not ultimate reality. He's not the one who gives light and illumination and understanding of how the world works. These other things are created things. They worshiped and served created things. The sun, this, now the sun I can totally get help. I would worship the sun if I didn't worship Jesus because seriously, like I'm, I'm brown. I just, I don't do well with this cold, you know. But they worshiped like birds, so eagles. I'm sure nobody worshiped a turkey. Like nobody looked at a turkey and said, that's a beautiful thing, which makes me wonder why we eat it. I don't understand. It's the lowest on the meat totem pole to me. Anyways, that's not important. They worshiped and served created things instead of the creator. And Paul says, this is the fundamental lie that human beings have exchanged. It's not that he's saying they're worshiping the devil. They're taking something good and making it God. It's something God created. He said they they worshiped and served created things instead of the creator. A good thing got exchanged to make it an ultimate thing, a God thing, ultimate reality. He says, This is the problem. Now, as 21st century people, post enlightenment people, we go, Oh, we wouldn't say it out loud, but like dummies, you know, you can't make an image out of a bird and bow down to it. It's not going to save you, right? So we look at this idea of idols and stuff and think, That's, you know, what is that? That doesn't make any sense. Clearly, that's not going to save you. Here's what this looks like in my life, in your life. Here's the lie. All I need is. Fill in the blank. All I need is this thing. This is what I need. You say, what do you mean? Well, when we actually, the exchange, how it works in our lives is we don't make images of birds of the sun or the sky and say, this is what's going to save me. But we look at this thing and say, I just need that. Instead of God being the one who is our source of satisfaction and joy and love and delight and significance and security, we say, no, no, I need a good retirement plan. That's what's gonna make me feel secure. That I know in the future I'm gonna be okay. I need need my health, I need to make sure that I'm healthy. Or I need to make sure that I look good, that I can keep the beauty that I had when I was 20 or whatever. Or I wanna have that image. If I can have that, that will tell me I'm okay. If I could just have the attention of that other person. Like if I could just turn that person's head, I would feel better about myself. If I could just get in with that group, if that group said to me, "Oh, you're significant, you're pretty, you're important, you're cool, you're athletic, you're smart, you're whatever." If I could just get, no, if I could just get a promotion. If I could just I knew if I had that, then I then I would feel okay. If I could just get my ex to stop You know, being so destructive, then things would be better. That's where my sense of peace would come from. If I could just get my child, the one who's sort of doing things that I can't control, if I could just get them to fall in line, if they could just do what they were told, if they would just stop doing that, then I would feel better. We don't think, like, are all those things good things? Like, is it good to have healthy relationships? Is it good to have other people love you and have friendship? Is it good to have financial stability? Is money evil? No. But when we take it and say, but we start to look to it, for things that only God can give us, Paul says, that's the lie. That's the fundamental exchange. And when you do that, you have a skewed perspective of reality. Now I need that thing. Now when I don't have the other pe- approval of other people, I'm not just upset, I'm devastated. Now when I've lost my job, I'm not just disappointed, I'm devastated. Now when my marriage is falling apart, I'm not just, you know, because I want to fix it, it's tearing me apart and so I don't know who I am Anymore. My health is going, or my body is sort of not the way it used to be. Gravity's taking over, or this injury that won't, I begin to feel like I don't even know who I am anymore. I'm coming apart on the inside. The, the seat of our deepest emotions are clues to what has really become God for us. Paul says, When you make that exchange, everything falls apart. You say this up close, and as I said to you, we, uh, we've been involved with the fight against human trafficking. And I saw an interview with a pimp, you know, because you think, like, well, what what would make a girl, you know, get into this and stay into this? Because some of them are trafficked out of their own homes. They're not necessarily slaves, although some of them are kept hidden, but the ones that aren't, you think, well, why would they just why would they keep doing that? We saw an interview with a pimp, and he said, he said, you just have to sell them the lie. He said, You start buying them nice things, paying for them to get their nails done, you know, affirm them, like take them places, tell them you love them. He said, once you can convince them that you're going to marry them and they're going to have the dream home with you one day and the dream life, he said, you've got them. He says, you just have to get them to buy the lie. And once they've got it, we've got them. And the police will say, when they go on back pages or whatever, and go in as undercover, and they go in and meet a girl in the hotel, and they say, listen, we know you're being trafficked. They said The first two or three times they'll say, no, no, no that's my boyfriend. I'm just doing this for a period of time just to make a little bit of extra money and then we're going to buy a home and whatever. And you think that's crazy. But it's believing the lie. And then what about the pimp? He says later on in the interview, you know it's not right, but the money's too good. He's believed the lie too. The whole industry is based on lies. And only when the truth comes in do they go, wait a second, this isn't my boyfriend, I don't want to do this, this is not. I'm starting to see reality. Then they can get out. And we think, well, how could they do that? But we do it all the time. Our hearts and our emotions and our things are tied to good things that we have let become God to us, and they tell us who we are, and they tell us whether we're valuable, and they tell us whether we're going to be okay when we're 65, and they tell us, you're significant, you're worth it, you're good. It could be the approval of our parents, it could be the approval of other people, it could be uh, how much money we have in the bank, a sense of stability, it could be our experience of control. Whatever it is, at a certain point, our temptation is because we have a liar who is lying to us and saying, this is what you need, this is what you need, this is what you need. You know, we read some of the stories of the, of the gods of the nations that surrounded Israel. And one of the reasons God said to them, I don't want you to worship those other gods, was God was not sort of petty and jealous is that those other gods destroyed them. In some of them, they asked them to actually sacrifice their children in in fire and flame. We think, well, how could people sacrifice their children? And yet we have a whole generation of kids growing up and saying, I'm not going to work crazy hours like my parents did because they sacrificed me to get ahead in their job. Why? Because something that was good, like a job and a sense of fulfillment and money in the bank, became God, and that became ultimate reality. And so time and family and relationships and health were sacrificed to get that. Because you think, what does it mean we worship and serve created things? Nobody bows down to other people or to your friend circle or to your spouse or to love or whatever. It's you serve it. You give it your time. You give it your devotion. You think about it all the time. You make money for it. You, You pay money for it. You're willing to lose money for it. You are serving it. Paul says, this is the lie. You are giving yourself to something that is not God. It's good. But if you take it up and hold it up and you say, oh, this is what I need. I need this. And so I will spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about it. One of the clues to figuring out what is that thing for me? Because this is, friends, this is not easy to see. And the lie above it is I don't have that problem. I'm sorry, universal human experience. We all have the problem. You just have to figure out what it is. It's easy to see it in other people. Why are they so obsessed with that? Why do they think about so much Why does that bother them so much? Why can't they just let that go? Why do they spend so much time doing that? It's just way hard to see it in our own lives. And one of the ways to begin to go is say, what do I think about all the time? Either something I'm worrying about or obsessing about, or planning for, or scheming about or, or excited? What do I go to when I'm feeling stressed, when I, that gives me that level of comfort? Right? And anyone who's been battling an addiction, if you're in the middle of one or you've gotten over one, you know it. oftentimes it's tied to when you're not feeling good about yourself or you're feeling stressed, you're feeling like the rest of the world is out of control, right? So much of addiction is rooted in, I feel out of control in these other areas, so I have this one thing where I can either escape to or where I feel in control of. Because what I need is to feel stable. What I need is to feel in control, and I feel out of control right now. I can't control the way my spouse is responding to me. I can't control what's going on with my friends. I can't control the way my boss is treating me. I can't control what's going on with our bank account. I can't control how my friends are treating me. And so I, gotta, I just got to go to this thing. That thing has become God for us. We have a global pandemic addiction problem to sex. You see that like 70% of men... And like upwards of 35% of women are addicted to pornography. Why? Because when you take God and transcendence out of the picture, you don't lose that desire for heaven on earth. And so the orgasm becomes 30 seconds of heaven on earth. Because we need transcendence. We need that experience and fulfillment. And yet... The reason God asks us to worship him and not sex, even though sex is this good thing he's created, is because anything else you worship will enslave you. Do you get it? No one's free. Everybody has a Lord of their lives. The reason God says, worship me, is not because he's some insecure megalomaniac that wants us to like sit here and say, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good. He just says, I know you're going to give your heart to something. I know you're going to make sacrifices for something. I know you're going to obsess with something. And anything else other than me will actually use you up. And I am the one who gives to you. I don't need anything from you. I don't demand anything from you. I'm the one who came. Jesus says to his disciples, I didn't come to be served by you. I came to serve you. He is the one Lord of our lives that if we devote ourselves to, we actually become more of who we're meant to be and not less. Anything that you obsess about, love, worship, um, honor, delight in, think about, pursue that isn't God and it becomes God for you, will shrink you, diminish you, use you up, suck you dry. The reason God says, love me, delight in me, get your approval from me, get your significance from me, get your satisfaction from me, and then everything else, all those good things begin to just have their rightful place. And so this is really about just beginning to understand, what is it for me? What is going on in me? And it's different in different seasons of life. You know, one of the things that became apparent to me when I I became a parent, I had three young kids. And kids do crazy things. And sometimes they fight with each other and they get all mad or whatever. And I was just like, why do I get so mad at them when they're mad? Okay, so they're mad. Why do, why do I get mad? And I started to realize because control is a bit of an idol for me. I like things like, I just like to be happy all the time. I have an intolerance for unhappiness. My wife said to me, you have an intolerance for negative emotions. I was like, okay, okay. Shouldn't everyone? No, and I, it even labeled certain emotions negative. I'm like, I don't like that. I just be in my happy place. And then when my kids are like fighting with each other, it's like wrecking my happy place. So then I get mad at them, right? And as I'm going, why? What is it? And I had to get below the surface rather than going, oh, I shouldn't get mad at them. Oh, they're just, it's like, no, no. What's, what's actually going on in me? It's okay to have my house a little bit upside down from time to time. It's okay if other people are emoting and having a meltdown. I got to help them through that. But I don't need to get sucked into that. I need to help them. I need to love them. I need to serve them. I need to parent them. That's the way God put me in my life, not to get absorbed in it. But what is it about? And when I started to realize, oh, God, my sense of well-being and enjoyment doesn't come from things being happy all the time. Things may be completely upside down. And I do have an intolerance for it because I want that. That tells me, oh, I'm good. I'm happy. It's like, well, happiness is a bit of an idol because life isn't always that way. And sorrow and pain and sickness and trouble and trial and things that persist and don't go away are a part of life. I also realized for me the approval of other people is often has become God. And it got worse when I became a pastor because you're serving people. And so when come, someone comes and says to you and say, oh, you know, VJ like what you said kind of hurt me, you know, which you do. I right? am a sinner, right? Like I'm going to mess up. And, and you're, you're like trying to care for people or, you know, you just didn't care well in situations I look back after and I think, man, I blew that one. Okay, I need to learn from them. and why does that destroy me? Why do I go home and like chew on those words that someone said? They're supposed to tell me when, when I've hurt them. We're supposed to do that for each other. Why does it destroy me on the inside? Because, because up to that point, I, why did I feel good about myself? Well, because I felt like, okay, I'm doing okay. And then someone tells me you're not, and then I'm a mess. Some of us put our, our confidence, our, our idol, our our, our our good deeds, like we're a good person. And then suddenly we fail or we trip up and we say, you know, I had been three months clean or three years clean and now I'm back. And we feel like we're coming apart because what had become God for us? Well, myself, like I'm, I'm doing good now. My behavior, like that's where my, that's where my sense of security was. I'm doing, I used to be a mess. I'm better now. Or suddenly something comes up in our jobs or our marriage or whatever. The clue is, friends, the deepest sense of emotion. The joy, the pain, the frustration, the anger below those things. What is fueling that? I don't know what it is for you, but here's what I know. Something that was super helpful for me. And I made it a rhyme so you could remember. Find the lie by asking why. Why? Why does that matter so much to me? And and I'm telling you, it's like going into the basement and then finding the carpet and then ripping away the drywall and then like, you got to keep asking why. Your first answer to that question will not lead you. Ask it again. Yeah, but why? Yeah, but why? Deeper, deeper, deeper. Until you get to the root of something you're saying out loud that you know isn't true anymore. You say it and you're like, wait, what? That's not true. I didn't even realize I believed that you got to get to the bottom. You find the lie by asking why. And I'll tell you, you probably need other people to do it with you because we don't want to go there. We don't want to know what's below the surface. I'll tell you, it's very troubling, right? Because I sometimes think I can deal with my life up here. When I start to realize the root things, I'm going, holy cow, I don't know how to fix that. I don't know why I feel that. I don't know where that comes from. I think i believe that my whole life. And I remember we were going through this a few years ago, and my wife says to me, I think I'm going to live with these things my whole life. And I was like, yeah, no, Probably. She said, oh, that makes me feel better, actually, (laughs) you know, like in the sense, like, this is the human journey. This is the human experience. We are constantly doing this, taking good things and making them God, and so when Paul writes it's not something you're cured of, it's the lifelong journey of saying, you're God, you're God, you're God, these things are not. It's why we sing about who he is and who we are because of him over and over and over again, because we're constantly making this exchange in big and small ways. And so this is actually a lifelong journey, a lifelong practice of finding the lie by asking why. And so I would encourage you: don't do this alone. Find a trusted friend. Even maybe ask them, "Hey, what do I? What do I talk a lot about? What What is most of my, well, how do you perceive me in our conversations, as a spouse or a friend or family? What's always coming up for me? Or what do you notice I get angry about a lot? Man, those are dangerous questions, right? But I'm telling you." Why, why can we not be afraid to ask them? You know the, the word or the name that the disciples called Jesus the most? Teacher. Rabbi. Jesus says, anyone on the side of truth listens to me. Right? God has sent his son to save us by teaching us truth. It's one of the ways Jesus saves us. That's why Jesus didn't just come to die. Otherwise, why did he live? We don't need the gospel. We just need the last couple of chapters of each of them. What's the point of all the talking? He's teaching. He's setting us free. That's why he says, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's why you can go down into this basement, in this hole. Because Jesus is with you, right? When it says that he went down into hell with us. And that he, he's the one who silences the voice of the enemy. He's the one who defeated the devil. He goes into that pit with us because he has faced the lies of the enemy himself. And he says, let's look at this together. And why? So that you can be free. The truth will set you free. That's why we do it. That's why we're not afraid to ask. Because Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, is coming with us as we follow him say, Jesus, help me know the truth so that I can be free. Worship team's gonna come up and lead us in a song of response, but I wanna just take a moment and pray for us. We also have a prayer team that'll be over here after. For some of you you may say, man, like I need that. Like I gotta just, I don't know, I'm just gonna ask for prayer to find this thing. Or maybe you know what it is. Maybe it's already come up for you. Maybe you're like, this thing's wrecking me. It's using me up. It's sucking me dry. I want freedom from this. I just want to pray for us, and then we'll sing together. The song we're about to sing says, Jesus, the riches of your love will always be enough. Ah, that's just so not true for me, and I want it to be. There's so many other things that we go to, God. We are pulled in so many directions, giving pieces of our heart away and our mind and our energy and our time and our money to things that ultimately use us up. They're good, but they're just not you. And so even as we worship you this morning, open our hearts at the riches of your love, your approval, your delight, your sense of purpose, your significance that you give us. Let it be enough for us. the family of God that you've provided us here, Lord. Let let that be, you know, the body of Christ enough for us so that we don't have to live and die by the approval of our biological family. So we don't have to live and die by whether our marriage is like great or terrible or what we're working through it right now, that we have a bigger family that we're a part of in you, that you have given us yourself through the body, through each other. Let the riches of your love for us and and our identity as your children be enough. So that whether other people think we're significant, important, worthy of time, worthy of listening to, worthy of noticing, worthy of dating, worthy of hiring or promoting, that your approval, your love, the same love, God, that you had for your son Jesus is ours. You delighted in him, and you delight in us. Let that be enough. Do something in our hearts again this morning to truly satisfy us with who you are. And lead us gently, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, lead us to the truth that will set us free. We thank you for who you are, and you are good. And so lead us now, even, Lord, we pray. Why don't we stand together, church?